Welcome back, everybody, to the Tardy Party. My name is Inevitable Mike here today on the podcast with a very, very esteemed special guest who I just did uh, uh, a lookup and watched your interview on Grimm with uh, Boom Direct, which I thought was really cool. Stephanie Phillips, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Stephanie Phillips is an American writer known for comics and graphic novels such as Harley Quinn, Wonder Woman, Grimm, and We Only Kill Each Other. How appropriate in this day and age. <laughs> Stephanie Phillips, how are you? <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Thank you so much for coming. It's uh it's 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 a wonderful day. Today uh is the launch, right, of your of your new comic, Black Sight. Yeah, it is. Uh thank you to Twitter for telling me because I don't know <laughs> what day it is. <laughs> I oh. woke up and saw the post and I was like, oh, that's today. because uh, I've been I've been off. I thought Sunday was monday uh yeah so it's yes <laughs> the the joys of having a team behind you to do all the nitty-gritty stuff so you could just focus on writing and publishing and now you've done so many things that the calendar yeah. just tells you when your stuff comes out that must be nice like a carousel yeah, of releases it, it's nice. <laughs> right it's nice when somebody will tell me what day of the week it is so that's good <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so before we get in a black site um can you like in my show, I like to I like to highlight people's journeys. So, if you could give us the the short tidbit version of kind of like how you came up as Stephanie Phillips through the ranks of comics, kind of like where you began, where you really got your first big break, until like the moment now where we are today. Yeah, uh, not a super exciting story. I wrote a short uh, horror comic with the artist Man House or. Um, a company that I don't even know if they're they're around much anymore um, or at all, <laughs> um, but it was uh, it was fun. It was a like just a four issue horror comic, and um, from there I think I kind of started getting on the radar of some other indie company companies like at the time AfterShock, um, Top Cow, and Image Comics. Um, so I did some uh, independent work for those places. And um, then I did a book called Butcher of Paris at Dark Horse Comics. And at a convention, somebody from DC Comics approached me, an editor, and was like, I just finished reading this and wanted to talk about it. Um, and that kind of turned into my first work at DC, a short story with artist Riley Rosmo, a wildcat story, which to this day is still one of my favorite things I've worked on. And that turned into um, one of the best, I think, working relationships in my career with Riley. And we spent years doing Harley Quinn together. Um, I think just even from like a, what was it? Maybe like an eight page story, I think editorial saw like, okay, these two like get each other and work really well together. Let's try to keep that going. Um, and we did and have ever since. So, yeah. So I know you said it's not an interesting story, but for someone like me who's in the industry, who's <laughs> waiting for that walk up at a convention for like Hi, I'm <laughs> such and such from D.C., that's an incredible story. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really uh, I, I guess I learned, uh, you know, editorial They're They read a lot. They're they're constantly reading things. And um, that book just kind of happened to spark a particular editor and he got really into it wanted to talk about the book and 
yeah. And then, the, you know, when I got the the chance to do the eight page story, I just, again, I think there's a lot of luck involved that the first thing I did was with an artist that I have just a really incredible relationship with. Like there are some weeks I talked to Riley more than my own mother. So it's, <laughs> it's been a, a really, really good working relationship and a, a great, great friend um, that, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to work with whenever we get the chance. Are, are, are these like remote working relationships or is this like where you actually got to go and like to the offices of DC or Aftershock or Top Cow or is this like working in the presence of your own home in your own comfortability space? Definitely working in my own space. It's it's funny you ask that and I realize I've never been in the same room as Riley, which is weird. <laughs> like, um, you know, spending years uh, forming like a really good relationship with with a lot of artists I've worked with and then kind of the realization that uh, you know, the pandemic is Riley's in Canada. And um, yeah, I think those things make it a really interesting industry to be a part of, but also just really exciting because then I have I have friends uh, kind of all over the world, um, you know, a nice artist uh, that I know, a really good artist who's in Budapest that we just got to meet over the summer, I guess. Yeah, over the summer. So like, you know, cool opportunities to go places and be like, yes, this is this awesome Hungarian artist that I know. And we finally meet in person. And, um yeah it's it's a cool industry for that i think that's that's awesome um from someone who lives on the coast and uh see that it's it's kind of tasking to to move your entire family to either new york or la or even as far as atlanta to get into the industry it's it's inspiring to hear such remote stories um of course going to cons is a remote thing like you have to make the trudge <laughs> to those because yeah. those are like nodes of network like we can't meet people in the industry otherwise that's why i'm so glad the cons came back uh what was the first con you went to um when cons did come back finally after the pandemic kind of cleared up i think the first one when pandemics or when the yeah kind of like towards the end of the pandemic i think it was rose city con um and then i did do new york comic con shortly after that um and uh this year i've mostly done international shows um, so that's been, I, I think, you know, one of my favorite parts of the job is somebody being like, hey, do you want to go to a convention in Vienna? Do you want to go to a convention in Naples, Italy? Like, yeah, <laughs> of course I do. Um, that's, uh, and in Greece. So I did a convention in Greece. I did a convention in Budapest, uh, Naples, Italy, and a signing in Spain. And it was, um, it was really cool and also pretty amazing to see my work translated into so many different languages. Like I didn't even know that existed. And I've got people coming up to me with, with German versions of things or, or um, Italian versions. I'm like, this is, this is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> did, you get, did, did you get any personal copies for yourself to bring home? Um, I did. I, I brought home an Italian copy of Grimm to my parents um, that Flaviano, Flaviano and I did the convention together in, in Naples. And he drew a, a picture for my parents on the inside of the Italian version. So um, they oh. were they were very excited about that. Yes. Um, and that That's was cool awesome. getting to do a convention with Flaviano, where he's from. Um, I, I really like that. I like getting to add elements of um, like, you know, adding Italy into Grimm as well. So um, making it as much his book as it is mine uh, and, and that's a lot of fun to really share that book and then share a signing with him which is great has has doing the international con circuit kind of seeped into your writing a bit whereas you feel a little bit more cultural 
culturally aware of like other conditions in other countries and the people um yeah i mean definitely i think i think travel is uh is a really good thing and i'm in a really lucky position where i'm getting to do that for conventions that um you know i, I don't think i ever would have thought that that was a possibility um or a part of the job that was uh, you know, that's not something that I, I accounted for. And it has been, uh, yeah, it's it's been a really, really, really cool thing to kind of add to what I get to do for work and meeting other people. Um, I think I've got like a little contingency of, of grim followers in Greece. I've, I've met them a couple of years in a row now and um, they seem to grow. They come up every time. There's like a ringleader to them and I love her. She's great. And she, she keeps like growing her little fan group of grim readers. And so every, every year I go back to Greece and they get larger and larger. And it's, um, it, it's really cool to talk with them about what they like about it and what, what interests them about the story. Um, and, um, also again, like seeing the things that make it over or are popular, like this last year, Cosmic Ghost Rider was really popular at the Greek convention, and I, I was not expecting that, and that was that was pretty cool. That's awesome because that's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was so I was so glad they brought him back uh, in the Marvel canon recently. Um, I hope he does great things because I was really sad when they like killed off the Punisher. <laughs> I'm like, who's gonna put everybody back into their places now? <laughs> what um. I know you said Wildcats was the probably the your favorite personal favorite that you've worked on since starting. But um, if you had to choose a project that you have in you know, your geek space, like you've always fantasized about doing, what would it be? You know, I don't I don't really have one, and I think maybe initially coming in, I did, um, and I've kind of gotten rid of some of that because uh, I when those projects do come up. I think I've, I've put pressure on like, uh, let's say it's Batman, uh, which, you know, I love Batman and I think I would be like, oh, Batman's probably why I'm a comic book writer. And then I was offered to write Batman for Legends of the Dark Knight, which which I did. And I'm not particularly in love with with what, um, like, you know, if I, if I thought back to it now and be like, could I come up with something better? I, I feel like there was so much pressure and I love the story and Max Dunbar drew it, who's one of my favorite artists. So uh, it is visually stunning. Um, but I feel like there was a lot of pressure, like, oh shit, like this is the moment, like this is the, this is the thing. Like I have to do this thing and I have to do it a certain way. And I don't, I don't know if that's where maybe anybody excels in that kind of space. Um, so kind of having, having it be like, Hey, uh, you know, this editor thinks that you would be a really good fit for this character. And here's why we think you'd be a good fit. Uh, like, can you give it some thought and kind of jam with us on it? And I, I think something better comes from maybe that scenario, at least for me. Um, and sometimes even characters I know less about end up being like a really, uh, I think a really good fit. Um, getting to kind of study them in a different way than maybe somebody that was like a lifelong dedicated fan. Um, but, you know, I like street level characters. Uh, I'm really excited to be kind of new to the Marvel toy box. Um, mm. And I've got some cool stuff coming up with them that I'm I'm really thrilled about. Awesome. Can't wait to see it. Uh, Daredevil is my my favorite character in Marvel. I love Daredevil. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love I love what they've done with him and the character when Elektra took over uh so far and i'm excited that he's kind of walking back into the suit but in like a new sense 
um, because his superpowers, like, it's it's not as lethargic or as popular or as really talked about as, like, all these, you know, magnanimous type of characters, like Thor with the Majorn and having the godly ascension or, uh, you know, <laughs> Captain America who was shot up with, you know, super soldier juice. Um, it's always it's always it's always felt very meta to me even though it's just an extra sensory but i think like in human anatomy if you go back as far as like what um what some of the philosophers philosoph philosophical uh philanthropists and and greek historians and and philosophical minds were talking about the human anatomy and how how uh it was you know so much more complex as like it was infused with spirituality i think daredevil's power really is part of the human biology in an essence so i've always been fascinated with how they portray his particular set of skills and abilities yeah that's very cool i i've always liked daredevil quite a bit and i love those street level characters so um that's someone that i have not written in any capacity but i i think that would be a lot of fun one day a lot of fun it wouldn't be as you know as much pressure as batman uh no <laughs> no uh you know i i don't know i think I don't know, maybe the the pressure element, uh, the the longer I'm in the career, maybe they're the less pressure I'm, I'm putting on myself and just kind of focusing on telling the best story anyways. I think maybe the Batman story came came pretty early in my career. So it was um it was like, gotcha. oh man, I I feel like I just walked through the door and here, here, here's Batman. Like that's <laughs> I wasn't ready for this. I thought I had some years to like prepare and uh nope there he is so um no there was there was some panic that ensued from from that one <laughs> uh but she but she did the deed and you've recovered since then you've you worked on harley quinn which is awesome uh i watch the show quite frequently when i can on hbo i'm sure it's not as the same as the comics but uh harley quinn's always been entertaining as far as dialogue goes wonder woman grim we only kill each other which i'm not as familiar with as i'd like to be and then and Black site, which is your new project. And if I'm not mistaken, is it a creator owned project or is this coming out through a particular publisher like Boom or IDW? Uh it's out through Comixology. Comixology. Okay. So this is this is a this that uh, they're publishing, but it's like a creator owned project for you, like totally conceptualized from you, you know, all the artwork for it. Mm -hmm. Um so what is what is Black Site? particularly uh, about uh it is about um historical black sites at the end of world war ii or following world war ii when we had uh kind of an influx of doctors and researchers from overseas that were brought to the u.s through something like project paperclip or operation paperclip uh and uh, some of them had nazi affiliations um, researched for the Nazis and the U.S. wanted to continue that experimentation and that research, um, which they did through black sites that had very little government oversight and uh, was usually headed up by someone named Sidney Gottlieb, uh, who um, was kind of famous for MK Ultra. Um, that was kind of his claim to fame. We don't really go into MK Ultra in this book. I focus a lot more on some of what they were doing overseas to again escape even more government oversight, which was kind of just like install these doctors and researchers in these places overseas that have very little go government oversight and let 
let's see what they come up with. Can they give us new psychological weapons or, or drug warfare? Like what can they continue doing? And a lot of that research is based on uh, experiments that were being done during the Holocaust uh, and were really inhumane. Um, so yes, that's why I wanted as little government oversight as possible. Um, but our story is about a woman who's traveling overseas and find, finds herself kind of stuck in one of these black sites. So it's a look at the inside of the black site um, and a look look at her as well and, and kind of her her attempt at getting out of the black site. I know travel safety is one of the things that they talk about these days and um, specifically uh, uh, single females or females with family uh, or children they focus on a lot in other countries, especially travel these days. There are certain countries where they're like, hey, don't take, you know, anything from strangers. Don't, you know, deal with any merchandisers that don't have booths or shops. Don't follow anybody in the dark corners. Right. Uh, don't drink anything that you didn't order and watch pour yourself. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. Were there, and this this kind of gets a little conspiracy theory stuff, right? But I know a lot of this stuff is is like released paperwork from like CIA ops and a lot of this history and stuff can be found online. What specifically drew you to this type of story? Um, I think it was it was kind of two things. I had um, two things that I, I really wanted to talk about. And one is the history of this kind of black site and experimentation, what Sidney Gottlieb was doing. Um, I think there's a lot of weird hidden elements to American history that uh, now I think a lot of what Gottlieb was doing has become far more public, but I don't think the effects of what he was doing are. I know MK Ultra is such a, a commonly known name now. A lot of people know what that is, which is why I wanted to focus on some of the other things he was doing. Um, literally taking people off the streets, drugging people in restaurants, and having them having their lives essentially ruined for the sake of Gottlieb running these, these drug tests and experiments on people. Um, but then the other thing I wanted to talk about was also kind of during this time period, there is a lot of really messed up things with women in psychiatric practices or psychological practices, uh, things like um, oh, the hysteria and the rest cure and the way that women were treated uh, very differently. You have books like The Yellow Wallpaper that I think are very interesting about a woman who is given the rest cure and goes crazy seeing things in the wallpaper um, or in the wallpaper moving. It's it's a really great book. And I would say that that book is actually one of the um, kind of foundations for what, what we did. Um, I, I try to pay homage to uh, to that story throughout Black Sight in some hopefully interesting ways. Um, so I wanted to combine to and say like there is research that's out there about Gottlieb and what he was doing but I wanted to look at it from the perspective of a woman um, and what uh, psychiatric practices during this time would also look like for for her our main character Alex. That is so interesting you said uh, what you did about the yellow wallpaper my wife just literally told me about that uh, and she had called it a poem <laughs> but it's it's actually a uh... It's actually a, sh a shorter story and I downloaded it the other day and I'm going to put that link in the, in the comment box. It's like a, it's like a 10 page story. Um, but she was telling me that it was inspired by uh, the, the movie, the ring was inspired by that story. I had no idea it was linked to, you know, 
uh, out of country black site research testing psychiatrics oh, and women. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's... Uh, I would say it's not linked so much to black sites as it's just about, uh, it really is about postpartum depression. Right. Um, okay. So a woman who has given birth and her husband, instead of uh, having any understanding of what's going on with her, they hire a doctor who prescribes the rest cure, um, which was a very popular method of like, we really don't know what to do with this woman, just lay in bed. Uh, I mean, it would get so bad where you weren't even allowed to feed yourself. Usually on rest cure, you'd be completely bedridden. Somebody would come in and like feed you, spoon feed you. Um, and so this woman with post depression is given the rest cure and it's kind of about her mental state going through not just depression but also now the rest cure which is a pretty traumatic experience um, or was a very traumatic experience which thankfully they've stopped prescribing and have learned is complete bs but i think they learned that pretty late in time which right. uh is interesting how far behind psychiatric practices are for women and how confining they were there's a lot of um i mean some of this isn't really in our story but i think it really uh inspired it the ideas of like oh your uterus is moving that's why you're crazy like oh that silly thing just like wanders around your body um like just how little was was done to understand or empathize with women um right. and in particular in uh psychology and psychiatry which is fascinating um and i i think that was like a, a large starting point for our book was kind of like the history of women in psychiatry and then also building in at the time period what was going on with black sites and Goliab and um kind of some of the stuff he wanted to do mentally to people um and i think we kind of in a way mash those two concepts together um to to give us a backdrop for both of those stories to kind of unfold is there anything during the research process that you were particularly horrified at discovering that kind of either comes through the story as a whole or something that you were just like, no, not, not at all. I'm not even putting this in there. That's, that's tragic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, all of the, what was done to prisoners in the Holocaust, that's, that's all absolutely horrific. And the fact that the U S brought over a lot of that research and documentation and I think the thinking, which it was interesting seeing Oppenheimer recently, because I think some of the thinking is there in terms of like, well, if we don't take the research and continue it, our enemies will. So we'd rather have the Nazi scientists here in the US than let Russia take them, for example, because we want to know what they know and we don't want our enemies to know what they know. Um, and so these people were allowed to come in and work and continue those experiments. Um, I found stories of people that were kind of just like going about their daily life um, and found themselves getting drugged and pulled into these experiments and their lives were absolutely never the same again. Um, just normal people like drinking at a bar who were, were slipped something because Gottlieb or somebody who worked for him wanted to know what would happen. Um, and you need a test subject at times, I think, who doesn't know what's happening um, and has a pretty clean slate. So. They were just finding people and ruining people's lives, uh, which is which is also interesting because a lot of this, I think, hinged on like LSD or drugs that now I think you'd be like, wow, the CIA was like super into LSD. That's uh, <laughs> OK. All right. That's uh, uh, but, and then a lot of it also revolved around mind control, which is where MK Ultra comes in, brainwashing, 
Um, and so if you have a prison or how do you get secrets from that soldier if they are kidnapped or I'm sorry, captured um, and they are tortured to make sure that they can't say anything. So um, there was a lot of psychological experimentation around those things. Yeah, I know there was a lot of like debunked uh, documents that came out that discussed like the CIA's involvement in uh, psychiatric uh, testing that they used hallucinogens for trying to prove the like the fifth dimension or trying to prove lucid lucid dreaming and that they had published research stating that it is actually possible <laughs> and a lot of people are like yeah see look we're not crazy we're just we're going other places because here sucks uh, <laughs> but they get labeled they get yeah. labeled as you know like drug abusers or something whereas like you know the manipulation of theta or beta waves in the brain you know isn't damaging but nobody nobody seems to care about those. So, so is this like a the fascinating topic that you that you chose to discuss because you have obviously some really strong things to say about it? Uh, is kind of in memory of those who probably never never got restitution for any of these experiments. That honestly, had I been reincarnated back in the day, I'd have just been like, "Fucking burn it, just burn it, just yeah. burn it all." Um, we don't need this shit here. Unfortunately, we brought them back. They built our defense system and our missile system. Nobody seems to remember that to escape uh, mm -hmm. hanging and death because, you know, they were a part of the Nazi leaders that, you know, just trashed an entire country and killed a bunch of people for no reason. Well, obviously for reasons, but for no good reasons. Um, so that, man makes my heart hurt. During the research process and you trying to write this, were there any days that was like particularly hard? to hammer away at the keyboard on the script because you were just like it was so heavy um hmm. uh yeah i mean i'm sure there there are definitely um moments of trying to uh write a scene that's both visual without having like i'm not interested in giving somebody a lot of like uh, uh i usually call it like murder porn like people that are super into serial killers and want to like see what they did yeah. um so I guess there's there's not as much like murder porn here, uh, but even gore, I really didn't want to get into that. So I've tried to find ways to show horrific elements through the lens of somebody that's on LSD or whatever drug the black site is trying out. So what they're seeing is uh, perhaps not quite the reality, but it also invites the reader to kind of interpret <laughs> what we're seeing in these uh very trippy visuals at times. Um, and also I thought that made it maybe a little more interesting for, for Connor Boyle, the artist as well, to give us something that maybe we haven't quite seen before, which is this perspective of, um, we do a lot with like uh, melting panels and, and things like that. Connor has done a really cool job of when you're in those moments, the panels are pretty non-traditional in terms of what you would think of a comic book page layout and I, I love that like it's a really creative look at saying like we don't want to just show super horrific gore but this is still a story worth telling so I think we found like um, a really interesting way of doing that that's not going to be uh, kind of going into the realm of what I call murder porn um, yeah. but still kind of inviting the reader to be really engaged in, in what we're trying to get across. That's that's really conscious of you, and I appreciate that because I'm I'm quite as you know as a consumer of entertainment, and also as a creator of entertainment, I'm quite concerned by the fascination 
of um, the darker genre of horror and 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 psychological thrillers as of late because a lot of them are what you describe as murder porn and you have like a plethora of documentaries coming out on mass murderers and murderers and duplicitous cult leaders who've committed actual atrocities getting valuable airtime to tell and inform everybody like hey this is uh, i was so disturbed by uh this how-to series on netflix and one of the episodes was how to be a cult leader. I'm like, why would you put that on here? Like, <laughs> who needs to be the next horrible Jeffrey Dahmer or something? Like, we don't need any more Oppenheimers. Like, that those people just need to go. That's that's not how we should be thinking or feeling. And then, then you know, then they're quick to raise the freedom of speech. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but that goes to an extent, okay? You know, thou shalt not kill thy neighbor, like. <laughs> um yeah. i mean this so, was a, a huge rise in that true crime industry that um you know i think on the one hand there's something uh i think very positive that can come out of it in terms of like informing people on like okay yeah. this person was doing this and here's how you can protect yourself i mean i it wasn't quite true crime but i was listening to something recently uh that helped me learn that a certain type of lock i was using on a door was actually really unsafe um and i didn't know that and i was like oh oh no like that's uh there's apparently been a rise in people who have figured out how to undo these locks and um i was like oh okay well like right that day i like did something about that i was like cool i had no idea um but there's also i feel like i and i've seen this before like uh stores or like online shops selling mugs or bookmarks with your favorite serial killer on them and like favorite like who's who's got a favorite what like that is that's gross to me uh some of these people still have like family members of victims that are alive and like could you imagine walking around with a tumbler with that serial killer's face and you know their grandmother's like what the hell like uh i don't know i i'm I think that genre is is very interesting, and I do appreciate that it often looks like they take a good look at the genre people within it who are participating, whether it's a podcast or something. But yeah, there's a lot of sensationalism around that kind of thing, and um, because I do write a lot of stories, I've I've done Butcher of Paris, which was about a serial killer during Nazi-occupied Paris, um, trying to find ways to to be very conscientious while working in a genre that often has real life violence that's that's definitely awesome i've never really quite heard it put that way so i'm, I'm glad i got to hear that come from you because i i find the i find the genre itself very fascinating but also very scary at the same time because there's often times where you wonder into parts of that genre where you kind of can't tell one without the other and i guess mm -hmm. that's that's kind of the the duality of of a writer's life when you're writing you know a hero and you also have to write the villain you also have to tread into waters unknown to counterbalance the arc of a hero who has to go through so many obstacles to become the hero that they're supposed to be by the end of it and um you you really have to be creative mm -hmm. with how you want that to how you want that to be interpreted by the reader on the other side um because if you if you I feel if you put it out there and they absorb it, um, you are you are kind of teaching them a way to either be or be inspired or uh, a way to uh, create a foundation around a certain set of beliefs that they may influence them into the future. 
and god forbid that you know <laughs> you see them on on c-span or like the 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 next big news story like oh what was your motivation behind killing your mom oh i read such and such comic I just feel like it's over my career is over uh, so, um i know it sounds a silly fear to have i have a lot of anxiety uh stuff but it's it's often something i think about because when you think about it like when you start writing a story and you want to put something out into the world remember what you put out there comes back so if you're sitting at a panel one day and you forget about that you know like horrendous like maybe horror genre thing that you had to do to break in and now you do other stuff someone might come up and ask you a question about it and you have to be honest in front of you know i don't know several dozen or maybe 150 a thousand people even and it just kind of all comes out so so the fact that you took the time to be conscientious and presented in a way that that is not only regaling to readers but also sensible and 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 honest to yourself is 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 awesome to hear what was it yeah, like? I mean, uh, a large part of it is also just honest to the story too. It's what the story needs, and I do think there are moments where using violence or things like that. I mean, slasher flicks are fine by me, uh, but it's it's about the story and what the story needs. Uh, and in this particular case, I, I don't think it needed that. And like the movie Oppenheimer did a great job of there were things that we don't see in the movie and it's what you don't see that makes a really I, I think had a really big impact um, because showing it would have been I think sensational and taken away from what that movie was trying to do uh, so yeah I think it's just this story and making the decision that I'm trying to write awesome beautifully said that's why you're a professional <laughs> what <Well, laughs> What uh, what was it like uh, working for or working with Connor Boyle on this on this project, and and what strengths did he bring to the table that elevated the visuals on the project? Oh, so much. Uh, if if you've seen his style, I mean, Connor does all of the art in this story. I mean, colors, pencils, inks, uh, and the the coloring process is really cool, and I think lends a lot to the story. Um, because a lot of it is hand painted and texturized by hand um, and then he's doing a little bit digitally to kind of add some detail uh, wow. but these pages are very very detailed um, kind of what he's doing and what in what went into each page um, I also think he's just a, a really smart decision maker like when he get, gets into how to lay out a page um, like I was saying about some of the the pages where somebody we're seeing through the perspective of somebody on drugs and it's it's a really interesting way that he shifts panels or makes a page look in a way that you didn't expect and it really lends to the reading experience. Um, and it's great for me because it means like, okay, I, I think the character should just shut up here because like, I don't need to say anything. This page does all of the work in your brain and your imagination um, of what's happening here. Like there's so much visually that I like, all right, I don't want to take away from this. and. Uh, I think a large part of my job was just getting out of Connor's way and letting him do what he is uh he's really good at. Is is it is is there like a time period when you're switching between projects where getting used to to working with one artist for long is is takes some time getting used to to switching to another artist to work with them on a different project? Is there like some type of cutoff time or recovery time in between? Um no, not necessarily. I mean, I, I've never, I'm lucky I've never really had a, a bad experience with an artist. Uh, I, 
I think part of my job is being versatile and being able to give the artists what they need. So at the beginning of each new project, I like to have a conversation about how an artist wants a script written and what's best for them, what they want included. Um, someone like Riley, uh, a script for Riley Rossmo looks pretty unlike a script for Connor. Um, and Flaviano as well. I've worked with Flaviano for so long on Grimm um, and we will still be working together for a while to come. And uh, the scripts for him have kind of evolved over time as well as we've learned to, to work together um, and tailor those scripts to what's best for Flaviano. Um, so I think it's a really cool part of my job to um, get to work with so many different creatives. Um, and it's also, I think a really important part of my job and being able to accommodate that. So as a, as a writer for comics, um, people who are, are aspiring to be a part of the industry or in the industry um, should pick up this element or skill of ebb and flow when it comes to the anatomy of script writing. And you shouldn't just stick with one format. You should be flamboyant, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that there are definitely some things in a script uh that, that should definitely be there for all members of the creative team. But I, I do like being able to have the skill. Um, and, and, you know, some of it is also knowing like, uh, okay, this, this artist I work with doesn't speak English as a first language and they're putting a lot of the script through a translator. Um, so that's also on me to know, like I shouldn't have a lot of colloquialisms in the script or um, things like that. Cause I sometimes like to add jokes or whatever in the script for the person that's <laughs> reading it, which is the artist. Uh, and, and, you know, my audience in the script is actually the artist and not the person that will read the comic book. So I want the artist to know what's in my brain. And this is my chance to give them kind of this letter, um, this foundation for what we're going to be building. And, uh, you know, I need to know who my artist is. I need to know how, what they like to draw. Are they somebody that's, um, you know, Riley, who, who loves the freedom to build pages like you've never seen before. I mean, I think that's incredible. The amount of pages he will do that you're like, I've never seen a comic page like this. Um, Connor does a lot of that as well, where you're like, wow, I never ever would have considered this layout. Like, this is not what I imagined in the best way possible because he's trying, taking a lot of risks. Bono, um, a lot of room as well, like telling him um, where we're going with certain characters so he can build in moments that I, I may not have thought of because at this point we know the characters of Grimm so well that I like leaving room for him to also create alongside me when it comes to story moments and, and things he thinks we should add. Um, doing an arc that was set in Italy for a little bit because he's from Italy also meant relying a lot more on Flaviano because I've been to Naples and that's about it in Italy. So, um, you know, asking him questions and, and giving him the space to, to, do, uh, to, to do a lot more with the story. What, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's appropriate to really ask since the, the story is so, so like serious and also comes from a tragic background, but <laughs> what, <laughs> maybe speak to the art if it sounds inappropriate to speak, to, to speak about it. But um, what, what's been some of your favorite moments writing Black Sight up till now? So I know, I know you're still uh, working on it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, working with Connor definitely is, is a huge, uh, is a huge bonus for me. I love the creative team in general, Tom, our letterer, uh, 
I've worked with Tom a lot and I genuinely think this is the best work of, that I've seen of his career. I, and he does all, he does right now, I think almost all my books, um, at least that aren't big too. And Tom is, Tom is incredible. Everything he does is incredible for me to say that is like, holy shit, like what he is doing on this is so interesting, I think, and adds to what we're all doing on the story uh, in a cool way. Um, Will Dennis, our editor, is, is again, someone I just absolutely love to work with. So um, for me, the best part is like working with a team of people that I know. Uh, I love everyone on the team. And I, I think that shows through in a, in a pretty solid end product once you read it all together. And um, what do you... What do you hope that readers will will take away from this after reading Black Sight, if anything at all? <laughs> um, I I'm really interested in moments in U.S. history that feel um, a bit forgotten or are part of something much bigger. Um, I think telling a personal story set in those moments kind of helps digest something larger, if that makes sense. So instead of being like, "Here's a book about World War II." Um, there's an author I love, uh, Eric Larson, uh, not comic book Eric Larson, um, but he did a book about the U.S. ambassador to Germany during Hitler's rise to power, and it's mm. like, what an interesting perspective. Uh, it's it's nonfiction, but I think it reads like fiction. I think Eric is just an incredible writer, um, and that is, uh, a like, I think that's such a cool way to write about history. And I'm very interested in history. Um, so I kind of try to, I think, take that to heart when I when I write about history as well, which is like, this is about the characters, but they're interacting with something that's much bigger. So if you take away wanting to go learn more about it, or even if this is all you ever learn about this moment in history, um, I think it's uh, it pulls you in more to have somebody that you can root for and follow versus just like a textbook on world war ii yeah that's that's definitely an interesting way to look at it um i'm definitely going to be looking into more of this because i i didn't hear about any of it or read about it as as much as i'm up into like conspiracy theories and cia black app stuff um <laughs> uh, i should know more <laughs> but i don't so it's very informative and I will be, I will be getting my copy for sure. Uh, available on Comixology as of today and Amazon.com, Kindle Unlimited. Um, if there is one piece of advice that you could give to aspiring artists or comic book writers or aspiring editors, what would it be? Get a good lawyer. <laughs> That's, uh... That's a new one. I... I... <laughs> really oh i mean it sounds like a joke but i'm actually pretty serious um, no. definitely like protect yourself and if the the ongoing the current writer strike tells you anything i think it's that you know taking more care making for that work i i do think that's really important um i think uh more um artists should also be uh, looking for representation. I think it's a, it's for me been a really important thing to have people that kind of look out for me because I don't know what the heck I'm reading. Like that legal jargon, it's like, it feels like it's meant to be intentionally confusing. So, um, no, I, uh, I think that's a big thing is, um, you know, you do the creative work and let other people do, uh, help you with the professional side. Yeah, it is, it is most definitely intentionally meant or non-legal educated people, for sure. 
and I know that for a fact. And you can go look up uh, the the school, the Book of Law, the black the Black Law Book, or whatever they call it. And there's literally a, a dictionary for every legal term in there, and it means absolutely nothing. It's like game code, if or when or not. It doesn't mean the same thing as if or when or not if you were using it in grammatical context. Like, it's totally something different. Do, um, yeah. Because you work around a lot of people who work inside DC and stuff, do they talk about the the recent strikes lately? Um, not not that I've heard. Um, no. no. I, I mean, I... I think I mostly talk to like editorial about projects I'm I'm doing. I yeah, I haven't heard much from from them about that stuff. I know comics really isn't an impacted by the SAG-AFTRA and the and the, the Actors Guild stuff cuz there's I don't think there's a comic union. Um I think that sometimes writers from the guild do get comic assignments from agencies but not the other way around. Do you do you think that maybe the comics industry could use uh, a union of its own for writers and artists? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I think it would depend on what that looks like. Um, I, I absolutely believe in more protection for writers and artists and creatives right. in general. Um, and so whatever shape that can realistically take to protect uh, to protect property, to protect artists, um, especially incoming artists, seem to be taken advantage of a lot. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think anything like that would be very beneficial. Interesting perspective. I hope to get more on that from other from other creators across the the comic multiverse. But it's it's definitely come up since the SAG after stuff, and then AI's become a big topic, and so there's oh, there's yeah. a lot of yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of concern, um, educationally wise, and then professionally wise. A lot of it's fear mongered, but um, there's just a need for transparency and boundaries. That's it. That's that's what I see it coming down to. That people really want. They want boundaries uh, for protection for income and and genuinity and just fair practice in the industry. You know, for those who want to generate specific projects, you know, you can be on that side and everybody else on this side. Um, so I'm always interested to talk about that with individuals because it's part of the industry. It's it's either going to change it for the better or it's going to impact it in some way. And it's unavoidable. Why not have a table conversation about it with everybody you can? Where can, uh, aside from aside from Comixology, uh, do you plan on rolling this out on cons? Do you, when's your next big con? Where can people see you or, or interact with you and your projects on social media? Um, yeah. I'm mostly just on Instagram right now. Uh, that snap crackle stuff, like the cereal. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of where I guess I sometimes post about comic stuff. Awesome. Um, I'll get that link and we'll put that in the comments below. Is there anything else you'd like to say on the close of the show? No, thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on today and joining us. My name is Inevitable Mike. This has been another amazing episode of Comics and Pop-Tarts. Come back next time. And remember to do not ask permission to create today, which you can share tomorrow. And geek responsibly.
Hello, my name is Michael Nunley from Omen Comics and Revelation Comics. I had a great time on Comics and Pop-Tarts podcast talking about making comics on that long and windy road it takes to make them. I recommend this show to anyone who wants to give a little bit back to the community and for creators maybe learn a little something about making comics.